Anyway, so we managed to rise to the occasion, but I, I quickly found out that most people, especially in tech, uh, where there's a where there's a war for talent, um, people don't have to work for you. They have options. So, in order for, for people to uh, to work with you, uh, you need to you need to create value for them. If you're not creating value, then go elsewhere. Hello, welcome to the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. My name is Alexander Loren. At the top, we heard a little bit from John Myrtle. John Myrtle is the featured guest on today's podcast. He has a wealth of information, as you might have already guessed from the little bit that you've heard at the top. He offers a lot of insight and shares some great advice. Phenomenal fellow. I really enjoyed talking to John Myrtle. So last week, I had Rob Ald from Soti on the program, and Rob was terrific. The theme with Rob was about failure and learning, and he talked a lot about, you know, I asked him the question about what he consistently did throughout his career that's enabled him to be a high achiever. And really, he started talking about failure. Failure was the key thing for him to learn and to grow and to be successful because he did not start out very well in his career. He mentioned that he was a terrible account manager. After year three, he was the top manager. And he also talked about uh, even as being a sales manager, when he started becoming a sales manager, he didn't do so great in the first year. And, and you know, he used all his failures to really propel him and to learn. And he mentioned, you know, he mentioned that cliche, you take one step backwards and for two step forwards. So using failure as a learning engine is key. In addition to, you know, taking your failures and, and, and using them as, as learnings, just to know where you want to go. Focus on what you want, despite your successes and your failures. Always focus on what you want. He brought up a really interesting term called uh, tuition value. Every failure comes uh, from the tuition value out of it. I love that. So it's like, you know, you go to school, you're paying your tuition. So you're kind of paying for your education. When you fail, you're also, that's that's taking money from your tuition. I thought that was really interesting. And he talked about uh, if you're not trying hard enough, you're probably not failing. We talked a little bit about the new generation of sales, and they seem to be very afail, afraid of failure. And the, the thought of it being a little overwhelming, it's not something that they teach in school. And then once they get out into the real world, it's a little bit challenging and difficult. So as part of um, his culture and a successful company's culture, if to create a space where they can fail and learn, uh, that's super important. Rob talks a lot about a high performance culture, the high performance culture that supports a business life and also supports personal growth. He thinks companies really need to invest in people's lives and not just their career. He mentioned that the new generation is expecting a lot more. They want to change the world, the millennials do, and they want the companies to help them make the world a better place. Really terrific, terrific message. It seems that Rob works for an amazing company in Soti. They have a really, sounds like they have a really tremendous culture. It looks like a really 
fun place to work and that they really endorse growth in their employees. So two thumbs up to Rob. Thank you so much, Rob, for coming on the program. So without any further ado, let's get to today's show with John Myrtle. I hope you enjoy it. John Myrtle is a multi-dimensional, results-oriented enterprise software sales leader with a proven track record for developing strong, successful sales teams. Expert in enterprise solutions, SaaS on-premise, cloud, he thrives by creating high-growth, high-velocity organizations. He's a transformational, hands-on leader known for spearheading change and driving bottom-line results under very competitive market conditions, both nationally and globally. John has had strong success in achieving revenue growth, market penetration, market penetration, and strategic transformation. He's the managing partner of MM Plus O Ventures, Inc. Welcome, John Myrtle. Good morning. How are you? I am wonderful. That was quite an introduction. You know, John, you've had titles such as President, CEO, Vice President and GM, Vice President, Worldwide Sales and Customer Service, Vice President, Market, Marketing and Strategic Planning, not to mention being a board member, a secretary, a chairman. Now, I believe at the very beginning after school, you started, you actually started off as an account executive. How, how, how long were you an account executive? I started working in 1991 uh, in the midst of uh, the recession at the time. I uh, recently graduated and was looking for a job with a liberal arts degree. Uh, there weren't a whole lot of opportunities. Uh, and um, I started uh, rifling through the newspapers we used to do in those days to find a job and uh, applied for everything and anything. And uh, the, um, uh, the position I applied for was for an account exec for a small company in Ottawa. And I think I was only hired because I kept phoning the CEO of the company every day. <laughs> and uh, he just wanted, he just didn't want to take my calls any longer. So, so that's, that's how I started in sales. And uh, I worked at that company for uh, three, three or four years before I was recruited uh, by an, another software company uh, to come and, and head their sales organization. And that was, that recruitment took all of uh, maybe an hour or so uh, because uh, I'd, I'd, um, I was working on a joint project with the company that recruited me and uh, uh, was in the car with the sales manager for that uh, uh, for that company on uh, on a way to a joint sales call. On the way back from the sales call, he hired me uh, on, uh, on the way home. He must have respected that you were persistent and thought, well, this is, I mean, persistence is a great quality of a, of a salesperson. No, really, I think he just wanted me to go away. And so, <laughs> so the easiest way for for me to go away was to was to hire me. But, uh, and no, in all honesty, yeah, that was one one of the factors that I think was uh, important uh, for him in hiring me. He knew that um, he knew that sales was uh, uh, required a lot of persistence and a lot of doggedness. So um, certainly, uh, I think was a a factor in in uh, deciding to hire me. What motivated you to, to call him? Like, what motivated you toward a, a, a career in sales? I didn't expect. Uh, I I knew nothing about sales when uh, when I was hired. 
like absolutely nothing, less than nothing. In fact, uh, uh, all I knew was that I needed a job, and um, and that was something that uh, you know, from the job description that uh, that I thought I could do. And I was prepared to do it, and I was prepared to do anything uh, to to make a living at the time, and um, uh, with the skills that I had uh, in in, ter in terms of communication, in terms of writing. Uh, it was uh, it was certainly something that I felt I could succeed at, and uh, and um, he, here we are. It wasn't it, yeah. there was no grand plan uh, coming out of uh, university that I was going to find a uh, find a career in sales and, and uh, work my way up the chain. Did a grand plan develop when you became an account executive did 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 when you were when you had this experience did you aspire to one day become a ceo and, and president uh no it was uh it was kind of an uh an organic or evolutionary um kind of development for me the um the first the first three years i uh of, of my career i actually didn't think that i was Going to stay in business. Uh, uh, I had this kind of back of the mind intention to go back to school and do a PhD and teach. Mm. And um, uh, after a year of um, after a year in the job, I thought, okay, I'll do another year as uh, the money was uh, was good. It was obviously uh, a better paying role than being a, a you know poor and starving student. And uh, after the second year, I, you know, I just missed the deadline again for uh, re-enrolling in, in university to, uh, to do a PhD and, um, and thought, oh, okay, well, I'll give it another year. I'll buy next year. And the third year uh, came and went. And, uh, and then I, I admitted to myself that, no, I'm not going back to university. I'm going to make a career in, uh, in business. And I was enjoying myself. I was uh, being successful. I was um, I was uh, winning a lot of business for the company that uh, that I was working for, and uh, working very hard uh, at for not that much money as uh, as I now realize, but uh, it was more than I I'd, uh, I'd made uh, you know as a uh, as a student. So I was happy, and I, and uh, I was gaining a lot of experience that would become valuable. You've you've had a lot of uh, upward movement. I, I mean, I, I mentioned all the titles in in the very beginning of the podcast when I introduced you. What have you been consistently doing over the years that that's and uh, helped you become such a, a high achiever? That's nice that you say that, um, but I don't think a lot about it. Uh, I, I guess the way I think about my career is more as a series of assignments. Uh, and I try to select the assignments that I take on uh, to give me the opportunity to grow. Uh, what, I, what I really don't like doing is doing the same thing every day, day in and day, day out. Uh, I'm always looking for opportunities to expand both my knowledge of uh, either business uh, or business areas uh, or markets or people or, um, or to some extent uh, to develop some technical depth. And I guess I get bored very easily. And if and if I don't have an opportunity to do that in my job, then I and I start looking for my next assignment. It's just the succession of uh, of um, opportunities that I've had have offered me the uh, the you know, the um, 
have offered me opportunities to uh, um, do a whole variety of things that uh, that uh, aren't, you know, particularly. Let's say I don't know what you would call it. They're not uh, they're not a a, a typical uh, you know a, a career uh, progression. So I'm hearing uh, I'm hearing a lot about learning and and change. Are, are there other characteristics that that you feel you have that is that is really helped you in your in, in doing all this uh, work that you've been doing? A curiosity, I think, and uh, and a desire to to solve problems. I've never thought of sales as being a an activity that. Um, you know that that uh, as we think of a car salesman, often the the, the stereotypical sales uh, sales um, uh, prototype uh, as somebody who is incented and uh, completely focused on uh, getting you in the seat of a car that you perhaps don't really want, and that's not that's never the way that I've thought about uh, sales. Especially in the domain that I worked in, mostly is enterprise systems. Um, I've always thought of it as a uh, an opportunity to help customers create value or make decisions towards making an, uh, an investment that's going to help them uh, make their companies better, stronger, faster, or solve a particular problem. And uh, uh, doing that kind of problem solving, working with uh, a customer to solve that problem is what's really uh, interesting. John, so you mentioned uh, you know a series of assignments. When when you when you join a company in the past, when you've joined companies and you've you've decided to lead them and and renew them, have you always been have you always approached it with just a one hundred percent certainty that you could turn things around? And and I ask this because I wonder if it's a, a is it a question of due diligence or is it all self confidence? Um, no, I've made some mistakes. Um, uh, I think everybody in their career sometimes makes mistakes and uh, or misjudges um, uh, an opportunity uh, initially. I've I've been in a role where I completely misjudged the company I was uh, I was going to work with, um, and uh, really didn't uh, understand the dynamics at the senior leadership level uh, going in, and uh, it was, in my view, one of you know a, a waste of a couple of years of of my life, my professional life. And I was really ashamed. I was glad to leave. And did you? Uh, I'm of course. I, you know, I'm sure you view that as a learning experience. Did you act? Did you learn how to start to understand the dynamics of leaderships before before you you were to join another company? Well, certainly in retrospect, uh, it it made me a lot more careful about uh, doing my due diligence on the leadership and the leadership style of any uh, of any future employer or people I would work with. Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't realize how much uh, leadership teams um, can be, um, I say, say infected, but uh, can become dysfunctional with uh, a, a poor leadership at the top. And uh, and in cases like that, it's you. It's very difficult to be successful. How have you handled mistakes in the past, personally and and professionally? 
regretfully, I think. <laughs> I, I, I try to take them as learning experiences uh, um, and try to get to the what would I do differently, uh, uh, knowing what I know now uh, stage rather than the denial stage of, of any kind of mistake, which is typically what uh, uh, I think a, a very natural disposition for, for many people uh, is, right? It's not my fault. It's their fault. Yes. Or um, I think uh, the sooner the sooner one gets to the what would I do differently uh, stage, the the quicker you learn. When you've been in those stages, the the d denial or the regret stages, have you had a strategy to pull yourself out so you're not you're not there so long? No, I do, uh, not typically. It's uh, I I think one has to go through. Uh, for for any major mistake in life, one uh, whether it's a, in a relationship or uh, you know a career, you go through a, a period of of loss and mourning and denial and uh, and um, ideally you want to accelerate that as quickly as possible. I think that's just a, a case of a case of you know trying to be an optimistic person that you're going to get through uh, the, the the difficulty uh, and. And uh, forcing your forcing your way through the the regret is, um, uh, I think, just a matter of habit. John, have you had any any mentors or, or peers that have had a have had an impact on your career? Uh, a few, a couple. Um, I worked with a fellow uh, named Richard Trier, who was uh, an ex IBM uh, exec at, uh, when I was at a company called MicroStar Software, and I learned an enormous amount from. Uh, from Richard, he uh, he was, what, I guess, ten years my senior, and um, he was uh, just a, a phenomenal uh, leader in terms of uh, his own team. Uh, I learned a lot about uh, you know, what, what we call, I guess, today in in uh, management speak, servant leadership. Uh, in fact, seeing his role as as um, as uh, rather rather than uh, his workforce working for him, uh, he you know often viewed or I mean, his his principal view was that he was there to serve uh, his his team and make them successful or do everything he could to make them successful. And that was kind of a pivot for me and my my own thinking about team leadership and management. Um, and uh, it's, it's uh, interestingly, it's not a pivot a lot of a lot of uh, people make. Um, there was another. There was another fellow who um, was uh, more uh, aspirational or inspirational mentor for me. It's a fellow named Bob Porto, who um, uh, at the time I met him was running a software company, uh, PC-backed, high-velocity software company in Ottawa, and then later uh, went on to run uh, SAP Americas uh, for a number of years, and now was running a, a very successful uh, software and services company here in Toronto uh, called Altius Group. And um, uh, Bob is a very kind of low-key uh, guy, uh, not somebody you would expect as uh, you know, sort of uh, not someone you think of as a, as a very high-energy, high-performing uh, fellow. He's, he's just solid as the day is long and uh, very methodical and uh, just a real inspiration in terms of his ability to uh, to create 
massive change within organizations and get uh, everything working in, in optimal mode. So I've followed Bob for a long time and check in with him uh, from time to time. I, I love what you said a little earlier about serving others. When when you learned that and when you saw it in action, that was something that 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 you were able to. Is that something you're able to do mindfully? How, do you see other people taking the approach of of serving others? Well, I I guess in my in my first job, um, I was selling into the public service uh, quite frequently. It was uh, one of one of my main clients was the Canadian federal government, and uh, and it so happened that uh, the dominant client department in that case was the Department of National Defense. So I I saw firsthand the, you know, what I thought of was the command and control structure of management. And there was, there, there were the generals on top and the privates on the bottom and everybody knew their, their, their role and their responsibility and everybody did their job. And, and that model, as I understood at the time, um, was how I thought, you know, efficient companies should work. And it, it was only in my second job when I, uh, you know, I'd, I'd been reasonably successful, been recruited into uh, MicroStar software. And uh, within two weeks or three weeks of my being recruited into the company, the fellow who recruited me left the company and said, uh, he, he walked me into his office one day and he said, John, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Uh, which do you want first? I said, well, let's start with the bad news. He says, the bad news is I'm no longer going to be your boss. I'm leaving the company for another opportunity. The good news is you're promoted and you, and you've got to keep uh, a, a team of 50 people busy for the next, uh, for the foreseeable future. And my heart sunk and I got a knot in my stomach. I thought, <laughs> great opportunity. I was, uh, uh, but holy mackerel, I'm looking at a team of about 50 consultants and software developers uh, who have, who rely on this company uh, for their livelihood. And they're in their 40s and 50s, and they're counting on me to bring in the bacon. I thought, man, oh man, this is, this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we managed to rise to the occasion in an event, but I, I quickly found out that most people, especially in tech, uh, where there's a there was a war for talent, um, people yeah. don't have to work for you. They have options. So, in order for for people to uh, to work with you, um, you need to you need to create value for them. If you're not creating value, then They'll go elsewhere. So uh, I, I learned pretty early on in my career that I needed I needed to find ways to create value for the people who I wanted to work or who I, uh, I wanted to work with. And um, uh, for my team or my teams, I was always looking for ways to help them uh, help them be successful. John, why did you decide to start MM Plus O Ventures? Uh, variety. Uh, I found after. I guess the first 10, 15 years, I'd, I'd, um, and I'd been reasonably successful, reasonably quickly. And uh, I could either, and I was living in Ottawa, living and working in Ottawa at the time. And I've, I just wanted to learn more about different operations within a business. So 
I, you know, I never touched finance uh, early in my career, rarely touched operations, rarely touched uh, software development, rarely ran uh, uh, development projects or, or uh, implementation projects. And I just wanted more breadth of experience. And, um, and frankly, at the time uh, that I'd exited uh, Tomoye, where I acted as CEO, um, I was looking for you know, a, a, another senior position. I couldn't find any company that really interested me. Funnily, funnily enough, interestingly enough, that uh, <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'll uh, I'll consult with a number of companies uh, uh, and uh, help them in any capacity where I can add value, and I did that for a number of years and and um, uh, ended up working as an interim executive in a, a number of companies to help help them get through. You know some step changes that uh, they needed to make. Uh, for example, a company out of Montreal called Radial Point. Um, I'd help them build out their sales organization and their implementation organization to grow from just a couple of million dollars through to about 30 to 40 million dollars in recurring uh, revenue within the span of about 18 months. And um, and that was that was a fun uh, time. And there have been other there have been other uh, sort of interim engagements like that, and that and that's just given me the opportunity to get a lot more breadth of experience than uh, I otherwise would have by uh, moving into you know a, a, another single company. And do you find doing this it satisfies your your curiosity? It it satisfies uh, a need to be always be learning something new. Yeah, yeah. Um, learning either learning about a new industry or learning uh, uh, a new function within the business um, or learning something new from a, a technical perspective like a, a new kind of system I'm, I'm working right now for example on a on a major program for the dairy boards across Canada where I had no knowledge of uh, you know uh, dairy and uh, and dairy processing and um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, um, any opportunity you have, uh, thank a farmer. It's uh, <laughs> the, the bedrock of, <laughs> of our existence. And maybe this is a silly question, but when you see a new industry like, like dairy, does it, do you have any fear at all? Does it, does it scare you a little bit to take something on that you have no knowledge of? Um, no, it doesn't. Uh, I've, I've always been a, a pretty quick study. Uh, learning a new a new industry uh, is not is not particularly difficult. I know a lot of people, you know, think it, it um, you know, their industry is unique and different, and and um, uh, nobody could quite understand or grasp the the uniqueness or the the challenges of a particular industry as quick uh, you know, as quickly as anybody uh, who's been in the industry for a long time. But I've never seen that actually uh, as as um, as being true. Uh, it just industries are uh, they're interesting systems, but they're systems and they can be read as any you know, as any system. Mm. And you don't, frankly, you don't need uh, you know uh, you know 20 years experience in a, in an industry uh, to understand how the industry function and industry functions. John, what's your best piece of advice 
for the new for this generation, the new generation of sales professionals? I, you know what, I was thinking about that uh, earlier in the week as I was uh, talking to a couple of young sales uh, professionals for uh, a new SaaS software company. And, um, and if I were coming out of school right now, I think, and, and uh, I think this, this may not be a, it's a, a generic recommendation that uh, would apply to everyone, but uh, certainly if I were in a position where I were thinking about a career in sales, uh, I would say that take any opportunity to get into a larger company rather than a smaller company uh, with a really strong sales culture, like Salesforce, for example, uh, or Amazon, or uh, uh, or even, I'm not going to say uh, one of the oldest um, companies with a with a remarkable sales culture uh, uh, as a as a recommendation, uh, but rather as a prototype. And so Xerox, for example, is you know was, was regarded for forever and a day as one of the strongest sales uh, training grounds uh, for business to business sales. And there was a there was a uh, a really good reason for that is they invested heavily in uh, the development of their sales force. If you can find companies that uh, that have that kind of culture and invest heavily in sales and sales training and sales development, uh, you learn a lot very quickly. Excellent, great advice. All right, John, are you ready for the biggest win sales challenge? I am. I've got 15 questions. I'll give you 60 seconds to answer all 15. If you're stuck, just say pass and I'll move on to the next question. Let's see how many questions you can answer correctly. The score to beat is nine. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock. The clock will begin after I ask you the first question. Are you ready? Yes. In a typical 60-minute sales call, how many minutes did researchers find the salesperson talked versus the client? 47 minutes, 30 minutes, or 20 minutes? 47 minutes. What is telephonobia? Being afraid to pick up the phone. What state was sold by Spanish King Ferdinand VII to the Americas? Louisiana. California, Florida? Louisiana. Louisiana. <laughs> True or false, 92% of all customer interactions happen via the phone. False. What will move you forward and closer to your goals? Vision. In Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman, what role did Willie Loman play? A salesman. If you had to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? The dead one. The sale of what was prohibited during prohibition? Alcohol. What does a milliner make and sell? Hats. True or false, George Clooney used to sell insurance. True. Who wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World? I don't know. Wow. Well <laughs> done. You were just going right through those. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, okay, so some controversy here. Maybe not. I don't know. Okay, so what state was sold by Sp Spanish King Ferdinand VII to the Americans? You answered before I gave you the options. You said Louisiana, and it was the the choices were California, Florida, and Louisiana. And uh, from what I saw, it's Florida. Oh, it's Florida. Ah. Yeah. 
That was for, how's your conf, how's your confidence level on Louisiana? I didn't know that Florida was purchased. I, th- I know that uh, Louisiana purchased. All right. If you had to eat two frogs, which one should you eat first? What did you say? You said the dead one? Is that what you said? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> dead and cooked. <All> right. <laughs> I will accept that. Uh, I'll, I will also accept the ugliest. Mm. And yeah. And yeah, you did great. You did fantastic. Thank, thank you for indulging me. Thank you for playing my game. My pleasure. It was fun. All right. So it's the biggest win sales podcast. John, w- would you mind sharing something about one of your biggest wins? Uh, I'll tell you uh, about what I'm most proud of, uh, what I consider to be my biggest success, even though uh, I would um, uh, perhaps the other people involved would um, uh, might see things differently, but at least from my perspective, it's uh, it's it's what I'm I'm most proud of. It's not a deal. It's not a, a contract one or business one. I'm very happy with uh, that kind of um, those kind of markers in a career. But that's not what I'm most proud of. What I'm most proud of is that m- many of the people that I've uh, had on my teams and and have uh, worked with me uh, to deliver their marketing, their sales uh, um, goals over the years have gone on to be very successful in, in their own rights. Uh, and in fact, much more successful uh, uh, the, than I am in, in many ways. Uh, so for example, uh, you might've heard of a little company called Shopify. Uh, that was founded by a fellow named uh, Toby Lutke and Scott Lake, or two fellows named uh, uh, Toby Lucky and Scott Lake. Toby still operates as the CEO. Scott Lake, the co-founder, uh, used to work for me uh, on my on my team at at, uh, at Tomoye. I hired him out of school and uh, and uh, worked with me uh, to to grow Tomoye and uh, learned enough to go on and and uh, co-found Shopify and grow that company to uh, to become one of Canada's uh, Greatest software companies. Well, that's that's my biggest. That's my big win. Amazing, amazing. And how, how does that feel? Uh, it feels awesome. To you know, I've got a whole list of uh, of people who've worked uh, with me who've gone on to either found companies like Scott. Uh, another fellow worked with me has found a company called PageCloud. Uh, they're uh, being recently successful at uh, uh, as a um, as a software company. There's uh, uh, a fellow in Montreal that worked with me, who's gone on to be very successful in uh, the consulting business, uh, and um, uh, and the list goes on and on. And and for me, that uh, that's uh, that's where I get my emotional satisfaction, I suppose, out of uh, out of the career. Uh, being financially successful is is, uh, is all great, but uh, it, uh, it it's not very emotionally rewarding. John, it was so wonderful to connect with you. Could you please let the listener know how to connect with you? And if there's anything else you'd like to add, go ahead. The floor is all yours. All right. Well, thank you very much. This has been really enjoyable. I hope uh, I hope our discussion today is helpful uh, for. Anyone considering a career in sales or thinking about how to improve their uh, 
uh, their career in sales, um, feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me either by email or probably best by email at john with an h j o h n dot m e r t l at m m a n d o dot com. That's m m a n d o dot com. Uh, you can visit my website, which is uh, intermittently up to date, and uh, uh, or connect with me on LinkedIn and uh, just punch in my name and uh, you'll find me pretty easily. Thanks again. Thank you. Well, that concludes today's episode of the Biggest Win Sales Podcast. Stay tuned for the bonus portion of the show, the podcast in a podcast, the sales podcast improv. Listener, if you'd like to connect with me, send me an email at al at businesspodcastnetwork.net or call my office at 647-417-0517. Thanks so much for listening. Have yourself a wonderful day and goodbye for now. Welcome to the Sales Podcast Improv. This is a micro-podcast about a sales interaction with a sales professional and a customer. I wrote a bunch of words, cut them out, and my dad, Alexander, placed them in a box. While you hear this message, he's picking a random word. He and his guests will create a three to five minute sales improvisation on that word. I hope you enjoyed the show. Bye! Well, this is a very, very interesting store. I think I've come to the right place. You, sir. You, sir. Do you work here? What's your name? I certainly do. My name's John. I'll be your salesperson today. Oh, John. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I need your help. Um, I've been looking to buy things. I want to buy things. There seems to be a lot of things around here. I can't decide if I want small things medium-sized things or big things but do you have any recommendations or any sale on things today well why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're looking to do with the things that you're looking to buy well i am looking to fill holes i have uh, do, been doing numerous renovations at home and i have no idea what i'm doing so i figured i could just put things inside the hole and cover it up and perhaps no one will notice that's a great idea what what how big are the holes that you're trying to uh, fill well, they come in various um, uh, various sizes and shapes. Um, and most of them are um, at the bottom near the baseboards, and, and that's from kicking. You know, I've been practicing soccer, so I've been kicking the wall a lot and creating a lot of holes. It's very silly, I understand. Um, but really just small little holes, you know, the size of a, you know, that a, a mouse would quite enjoy. Right. So why don't we, why don't we see what small things we have to fill small holes okay all right why don't, we, why don't we walk over to aisle five that's that's where we have the small things excellent you are so helpful thank you i was all getting right. lost in this store there's so many things i know there's so many things so here we are in aisle five yeah and we've got a whole array of small things yes to, to, to fit in your small holes or fill your small holes yes now uh do you have any material restrictions is it uh like uh, are, are you filling are you filling holes in drywall or are we talking about plaster? Are we talking about 
concrete? What, what well, it's materials. It, it mostly drywall, and and I think what I'm looking for is I, I'm looking for a little bit of glitter. I'd, I'd like to walk into a room and just have glitter all over the place at the corner awesome. of my eyes. Yeah, wonderful idea. Okay, so here's some small things right here on the bottom shelf next oh. to the other small things. Very what, nice. These, these look pretty glittery to me, right? Yeah, Do they yeah. look glittery enough to you. They're pretty glittery, yes. And and uh, and can I can I stretch that thing out or like does it break? Uh, well, there are d different varieties here. There are there are ones you can cut. There are ones that uh, there are one size fits all. Uh, there are other small things here that are glittery that uh, that you can shape uh, to fit the the hole you want to fill uh, perfectly, sort of like Play-Doh. Oh, excellent. Here, let me. I gotta hold that thing. Okay. Oh, hey. Oh, there you go. Oh, three hundred dollars. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if my wife's going to go for that. I, why is it $300? Yeah. Well, I think that that's the uh, the material in that high-end uh, Play-Doh-y uh, stuff. Uh, uh, there are cheaper options, but uh, they, they tend to uh, not retain their glitter nearly as long. Oh, well, you know what? I know what will sell her if it's ethical material. Tell me, where did this eth where did this material come from and how is it treated? Uh, we don't have any information on that, I'm afraid. Uh, oh. It looks like it's, uh, to me, it looks like it's basic uh, 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 gypsum-based uh, uh, Play-Doh. Uh, so typically, uh, in a material like that, you're not going to find uh, too many ethical uh, ethical considerations. Maybe, oh. maybe we could look up uh, uh, the, the manufacturer's website and uh, and find out whether they've got any issues. Okay, well, you know what? I, 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 that's a great idea. I'm in a hurry. I'll just buy this and I'll go home and I'll do some research and 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 I'll uh, and I'll talk to the wife about it. Could could you ring me up? Absolutely. Let's go to the cash. Fantastic. Okay, but by the way, what's the? What, I didn't catch the name of the store. It's the Thing Store. The Thing Store, of course. Yep. Of course, the Thing Store. All right. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I'm sure this is going to work like a charm. Thanks for coming in.